In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. The World Cup starts on Sunday. Qatar takes on Ecuador in the first game of the World Cup. 8 a.m. It's going to be such a mess. Are you watching the first game of the World Cup? Sunday? At 8 uh, I'll probably be on the way to the D- Broncos Stadium at that point. Was it 11 a.m., which would be? 10, it'd be at 9 a.m. your time. The F- World Cup game would be at 9 a.m. in Denver. No, if it's 11 a.m. here, it'd be 1 p.m. in Denver, wouldn't it? Oh or 12, my God. it'd be noon. Well, 8 a.m. 8 a.m. Sunday, first game's at 8 U.S. plays at 11 on Monday. Oh, 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 I'm First sorry. game is Sunday at 8 a.m. here, so 9 a.m. in okay. Denver. Got to watch it. Hotel room. We have to be the hotel Pull room. Pull up Fox, have Qatar, to be the hotel Ecuador, room. 8 in the morning. Put it on. You Maybe. don't seem committed just, to this. Watch it. Make sure you have no moral qualms with what you're watching. <laughs> How many games do you think you'll actually watch the World Cup? All the USA games, if I can, if I'm available, if I'm able to with the travel and, and, and how many are going to interfere with the show? None. All U.S. games start at I'll 11 o'clock. I'll watch the U.S. games. I'll watch the USA games. Until the quarterfinals. And even then, I think we're still set up to start at 11 o'clock in the quarterfinals. Um, yeah, I'm going to watch as much as I can. The problem is there will be games at 2 a.m. our time. That's a disaster. Uh, and then there will be some games at 5 a.m. our time. No, you can turn that on. You're up at that time. Yeah, I don't usually turn my TV on in the morning, though. So we'll no, see. I don't either. We'll have them on in here. Sure. 8 a.m. games. Oh, yeah. We're going to have them on in here. And by the way, Charmed. Yeah, World Cup. <laughs> we got two TVs now. Charmed that and is the true. World Charmed. Cup. Charmed can go on one and the We're World set. Cup on the other. Uh, by the way, uh, we are going to be out at Parkway Tavern uh, at the district out uh, by Green Valley Ranch. We're going to be there Tuesday for doing our show live mexico plays poland at 8 a.m so come on by say hello to us watch some world cup Uh, i'll also be out there for the usa england game a week from today uh that again starts at 11 so come say hi and watch the world cup man you know that's a great question the eagles signed and dominican sue for the rest of the year is he gonna be any good I don't know. I thought the Raiders signed him six times. They thought they were, too. They were going to sign him. Every time this came up, it's like, hey, the Raiders are going to sign this guy. Looking back on it, um, how big of a mistake was it for the Raiders to not sign Indomitian Sue? I guess we have to see how good he is. That's fair. Um, I mean, what if he just can't come back? And he, I mean, he played every game last year. Right. This is a guy who's so played like like every game. he's been for... out of it for, you know, I mean, he's been out of it, but it's not like he is coming off a season where he only played twice and he was hurt the whole time. And given that the Raiders' interior defensive line has been so useless this year, and they just claimed Jerry Tillery off waivers from the Chargers, I don't know. It feels like going back in time, if they had added a competent defensive tackle, maybe Chandler Jones has a sack and a half instead of just half yes. a sack this season. <laughs> Right? Maybe maybe defenses at one point are like, ah, we got to help more on this Indomitian Sioux guy every now and then. And Chandler Jones actually is in the backfield once or twice. I don't know. It just, it just feels like that was a big position of need. 
The Raiders did pretty much nothing. And they were there. locked in. They were the ones that were leading candidates, supposedly, for him in all the offseason. That's right. the one, the first team you heard were the Raiders, due to the Raiders. And they had the cap space to do it and never Didn't pulled do the trigger. Now, granted, no, no other NFL team did until the Eagles yesterday, but it just seems strange that Indomitian Sue not only has been out there this whole time, but the Raiders have needed somebody at his position the entire season. Right. And I mean, they traded a defensive tackle away. I'm out. The Bills and Browns will play in Detroit. Uh, Buffalo is apparently getting snowed on right now because the Bills had to cancel practice. Uh, so the game is being moved. The So the reason, so the Bills canceled practice today because their players can't get to the facility. Right. right. Like right. They, they have an indoor facility. They'd right. be fine I was going to say when I saw... I was going to say it had to be travel problems because obviously in Buffalo, they've got enough money to have an indoor facility. Yeah. Uh, how are these guys getting to the airport to fly to Detroit? Well, they're not having the offensive coordinator of Tennessee drive them. Is he driving the bus? Like, so they move the game because there's going to be so much snow on between now and Sunday. And today they canceled practice because their players can't leave their houses to get to the facility. And there's more snow coming. Right. It's like, going to be even worse. How are these people, how are yeah. these players and coaches getting to an airport? I I mean, maybe there's a way, but this seems like, it sounds great they're moving it to Detroit. Are the Bills yeah. going to be able to show are up? They're going to be there. Like, And they played Detroit on Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah, back-to-back They games might as well just Detroit. stay there. Yeah, oh, don't fly back. That's no, right. not into that snow. Yeah, just stay in, stay in Detroit. But it, they might not get there. They might not even get there next week either. Might just be stuck in Buffalo for a couple of weeks and not play. You know, this is my game. fear on Christmas. You getting stuck in the Pittsburgh airport, yes. and you're not even the Bills who are good. You'll be covering not the even, Raiders and Steelers. Well, and I'm not even. Hey, where's the charter jet? <laughs> just give <laughs> okay. me the charter. Exactly. So, this happened in 2016. This exact thing with Buffalo like happened. They couldn't get to the airport. They couldn't get to their practice facility. And apparently a local with a snowmobile went around and like he picked up just uh, a random guy. He picked up Scott Chandler because he was staying with friends. And they're like, well, our neighbor has a snowmobile. And so he like started organizing the tight end of the 2016 Bills started organizing. We know a guy with a snowmobile. He'll get you to the facility. So are like Bill's staffers on like Twitter and Craigslist and Facebook well, being like, well, Twitter, if it's still there, they might not be in Twitter. very long. Are they just like reaching out everywhere they can? Who has a snowmobile, snowmobile in to Buffalo? get us to the airport? And I feel like that town, there'd be a lot of people ready oh, yeah. to go with their snowmobiles. Especially to get the for that team. On the plane. Oh man. Well, that would be the Stars. most embarrassing DUI is, uh, well, I mean, I, I got Josh Allen on the back. Can we, can you <laughs> let me off? That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> Guess who played basketball yesterday? You? Kawhi Leonard. Oh. Oh. Made his return. He How started, he played 24 minutes, uh, shot two of eight from the floor, had six points. Not great. But the Clippers did beat the Detroit Pistons. Pistons aren't any good, so that's nothing special. But yes, Kawhi Leonard came back. I think it was the first time he played since like October 23rd or 4th, something like that. So almost an entire month out, but he returned to the floor. Um we had JVT on the show. He predicted, what do you say? 50. 50, 50 55 50. games. He predicted that he'd play 50. Uh, that's that, a lot. That's a good start for him that Kawhi Leonard yeah. played yesterday. I am I guess I'm curious to see, is this 
hey, Kawhi's good to play, you know, 75% of the games the rest of the year? Or is this Kawhi played, he's out for a week. Yes. Kawhi <laughs> plays again, he's out, he's out like, for a week. I, I don't know. Like, I have no idea what to expect from Kawhi Leonard playing time. To be honest, I don't know if the Clippers have any idea what to expect from Kawhi Leonard and how often he'll be available. No, the whole situation with load management and the knee and when it hurts and when it doesn't and reconstructive surgery, you have no idea. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it makes sense for Kawhi Leonard to take plenty of games off this year. But to play to play two games early in the year like he did, then miss almost an entire month, and come back is a very weird. We don't see that type of timeline when guys are coming back from injuries. So I'm, I'm curious what the Clippers do there, because like we said, this team at full strength is a legitimate title contender, but are they going to be at full strength? Nobody seems to know. Well, it doesn't look like they play again until Monday. So if he can't play, then there's something wrong because they'll have three or four days off. Is it the most Kawhi Leonard thing out there that it, Oh yeah, Kawhi's back. He played last night, and everyone goes, "Oh, he did." <laughs> there were like there were no announcements. Like well, it didn't. It should have kind of been a bigger deal. Well, the strange thing about the NBA schedule yesterday, there were only three games. None of them were on national TV, and they were all oh, West Coast games. I'm aware. I had to pick up a bunch of friggin' uh, San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. It was it was the Nets, Blazers, Spurs, Kings, and Pistons, Clippers. Like the weirdest NBA schedule I think I've ever seen. Like it's like it's right. four, it gets to be before clock, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna put on an NBA game here because there's an East Coast team. And I was like, there's no NBA there's games no NBA on for game three on. more hours. It's very weird. Like sometimes there'll only be a few games because there's a national TV uh, doubleheader, right. and they don't really want to compete with that too much. But last night, none of those games were on national TV, and I was like, all right, that's strange. What do you think? Aaron Judge won the American League MVP over Shohei Otani. The voting, by the way, first place votes 28 to 2 in favor of Judge was not Whoa, even close. Uh, and I saw someone on Twitter who was really, let's say, angry at the two people who didn't vote for him. What? They were both from California. I think they were both LA voters in the MVP there. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to be closer. Uh, I do enjoy that the only way to beat Shohei Otani in the MVP is to hit 60 home runs. <laughs> You, is you to have break to have, a record. You have to have one of the 10 best home run seasons of all time in history to beat Shohei Otani in MVP. And to be honest, that's completely fair. If Otani's going to be one of the 10 best hitters in the American League and 10 best pitchers, he should win the MVP every single year yeah. somebody doesn't hit 60. I guess hit 60 or like hit 400. If your batting average is like 404, all right, we're giving you the MVP because we haven't seen that since, what, Ted Williams? Yes. Like, all right, if you hit 404, I don't even care if you never hit a home run. You hit 404 and everything's a single, you're getting the MVP. Right. You should, even though your actual numbers probably might not be that good. Otani's going to play for Japan. Oh, the World Baseball Classic is going to be yeah. so much fun. I genuinely great. am excited about the World Baseball Classic. A lot of big names are playing, oh, man. They a lot are. of big like, names are playing. We'll see who pitches because that's the, it's like during spring training and it's very hard for starting pitchers to, like, get ready for the World Baseball Classic, and then, oh, the regular season starts in a week or whenever right. the World Baseball Classic ends. So we might have sort of like college-type pitchers pitching in this, but I'm I'm genuine. The offenses, the lineups are going to be, they're pretty much loaded already. Very Starting exciting. against Japan, young James Starkus. <laughs> yes. He throws an 82-mile-an-hour fastball. Let's see if Otani can hit it. <laughs> they keep whiffing. They're like, oh. I, I got to slow down. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question.
Uh, Sandpoint Stadium is permanently closed. Uh, Channel 3 News had a story on this because we have an XFL team coming, the Vegas Vipers. They are the only XFL team that have not announced where they are playing yet. And Sam Boyd Stadium was obviously an option. It used to, you know, host UNLV football. But according to UNLV, it is permanently closed. There is nothing happening there. So the Vegas Vipers will not be playing at Sam Boyd Stadium. Where are they going to play? Let me give you three options. Tell me which one you'd rather have. Uh, Cashman, Las Vegas Ballpark, or Bishop Gorman High? Would I rather have as me, Tyler Bischoff, or as the Vegas Vipers? No, you. Um, Why would we care about a team that practices in Dallas and flies in for games? <laughs> uh, Is that something you guys would like me to start doing, like a weekly breakdown on? <laughs> Las Vegas Ballpark? Is football fit there? Have they played football there before? They played they the had Pro the, Bowl. They had the, well, they had the Pro Bowl practices there. But they didn't, but they didn't put a full football field like on Like they that. put 80 yards. Okay. Uh, that well, one would probably XFL, be my... That would be my... That'd be the the best venue to do it, because um, what does Bishop Gorman hold, capacity wise? Five thousand? Yeah, I think five thousand. That might be that Actually, might be enough. Yeah, that might be perfect. Yeah. Um, you got the weight room right off the right off the field. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna guess they end up at Cashman. Is the DLC yeah. too small? That's for the indoor football team, Jared. Just don't play on the days the indoor football league is playing. Uh, I'm going to guess it happens at Cashman. Because okay. if you do it at Las Vegas Ballpark, you've got to remove the mound every time you play. How about your How about your buddy Brett Lashbrook? Is he going to have anything to say in this? Wait, who owns... Did, does, does the city of Las Vegas yeah. own that again? Okay. Uh, if the city of Las Vegas owns it, probably not. Carolyn Goodwin will be like, oh, a sports team? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, that she's taking it a second. She's going to somehow get try to get some taxes for them <laughs> so that they can build their own stadium. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if, if if Las Vegas still owns it, then yeah, I don't think Lashbrook will have too much. I mean, I maybe they're like considered the permanent resident; and they'll get priority. But my guess is they end up at Cashman just because that'll be the that that sounds like the easiest thing to do if you're looking for a place to put a football team that's going to draw less than like less than ten thousand fans, right? I assume we're oh, yeah. going to Vegas Viper games, so that that seems like the obvious answer or the most likely answer at this point. But Las Vegas ballpark would be. That'd be cool if they could put it out there, but seems a little more complicated. Fitzy texted me last night. He's going to do a uh, XFL show. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. That doesn't sound fun. Coming up next, <laughs> Ben Brown joins the show. Tannehill, play fake, looking, firing to the end zone. Incomplete. And the Packers have picked it up and are running it back. Incomplete pass. Intended for Hooper. Hooper comes down with it in the end zone. Oh, that may be a touchdown. Yes, sir, it is. Yes, it is. Touchdown, Titans! It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. How are you today? Hey, guys, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good so far. How are you guys doing? Uh, are you feeling good because you've been betting against Aaron Rodgers the whole year? Yeah, I would say that's a, that's a, that's a big part of my Friday morning uh, <laughs> optimism, I would say, as well. But, hey, the Vikings are 8-1, uh, and everything's uh, kind of coming up roses right now for Week 11, I would say. All right, I know um, sports books don't appear to believe in the Vikings like maybe you do. Um, how many teams do you think, let's just say on a neutral field to make it easier, how many teams do you think the Vikings should be underdogs against head-to-head? 
Oof, that is, uh, I would say probably, um, I would say four other ones right now. And I do actually think, you know, the Dallas Cowboys specifically being favored this weekend, even at home, kind of makes sense given the injury situation. But I would have it Chiefs, Bills, uh, Cowboys, and Eagles, I think, are the four teams I would have uh, uh, the Vikings as underdogs to right now. So do you consider them a legitimate Super Bowl contender? I actually, I only because I think they're in the NFC, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably maybe, I do think the Eagles are very susceptible to losing based on how they kind of are, are built and also have played for the first 10 weeks of the season. So I think if they, you know, don't, if the Eagles are matching up against a team that is, I would say, you know, just as good as them, you know, especially offensively, and they fall behind early, I think they're going to have a really difficult time, uh, you know, coming back. So uh, I think, you know, the Vikings being legitimate Super Bowl contenders could very much be in the cards kind of based on how they perform against uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Because I do think it's Dallas and Philadelphia at the top of the NFC right now. Uh, but the Eagles are susceptible, and I think that, you know, if the Vikings show out a little bit here on Sunday, um, you know, I, I think them actually being, you know, at, at least the, the favorite to get out of the NFC uh, would make a lot of sense after that happens. So what 9-7 and seven team from the NFC knocks the Vikings out of the playoffs? Is it the Seahawks? <laughs> Probably the Seahawks, maybe even like the Buccaneers or something like that when it's all <laughs> said and done in the first round. But I don't know. I, I mean, I, at least I, I do think we could see a really weird team coming out of the NFC uh, this year, I think that's probably going to be a common a, a common theme from you know analysis standpoint as we head towards the playoffs. But uh, I think the teams you know at the top are are, are very vulnerable, and if they fall behind early, you know uh, anything can kind of happen in these one and done settings. So I do think you know the, the five, six, and seven seeds are, are very much going to be alive to kind of run the table here in the NFC uh, when we get to that playoff time. Is your mind changed at all that they're going inside for Cleveland and Buffalo? Um, a little bit. I did like, I would say, Cleveland quite a bit, at, you know, plus eight, uh, plus eight and a half, plus seven and a half, even if it was going to be a little bit more of this, you know, chaotic outdoor game. Obviously, the, 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 the Cleveland Browns can kind of, you know, very much win in the interior offensive line. And I think with Nick Chubb, you know, kind of being the, the, the focal point of the offense. Uh, that that the weather situation, I think, would very much have benefited them. So shifting quite a bit, um, I, I do think the Bills, you know, are still going to struggle, you know, a little bit in their secondary, very beat up in that area. Can Jacoby Brissett take advantage? I think that's kind of like the new storyline for this particular game, at least as far as, you know, if the Bills cover the widespread or not. But, yeah, it, it very much changes uh, the, the handicap for this matchup. I do think we're still going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game. So, you know, the fact that we moved all the way out to, you know, 49 and a half on the total, uh, I, I'm probably kind of leaning still towards the under in that, in that particular game, uh, just based on all the, all the changing elements and everything else. And this sort of kind of being, you know, a little bit of a chaotic, uh, you know, setup for this matchup. So I do think we're going to see a little bit of a slow start uh, and maybe kind of squeeze under that 49 and a half point total as well. Which coach are you more afraid to bet on, Nathaniel Hackett or Josh McDaniels? I, the problem is I've been on both of them way too much this year. <laughs> so I don't know if I can do either one of them, but I do think I'd be less confident in the Nathaniel Hackett-Russell Wilson combination than I am with Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr right now. So, so, so the Broncos, I think, uh, you know, team that I was kind of on in the middle of the season, uh, very much want no part of here for the rest of the season, I would say. <laughs>
How much more a believer are you in Justin Fields now? I so I and I know this is not necessarily revisionist history or whatever, but I was pretty high on Justin Fields. Um, you know, coming into the draft, he was a guy that you know from from an accuracy perspective, PFF loved. I think you know us trading his passes in college. He was the most accurate passer coming out of college, and I think you know the narratives around why he wouldn't be successful at the NFL level were very much overstated. So. I did kind of buy into him there. I really wanted the Vikings to go up and actually make a trade in order to be able to land him in that in, in that mid-range 10, 10-ish spot, um, you know, with the Bears eventually actually ended up making that trade. Uh, so I was pretty high on him. But, yeah, I think, you know, now we're seeing with the offense kind of catering his direction, he is very much, you know, one of one of the two most dynamic, I would say, quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And, and it's not only been – you know, with his rushing ability, I think he has made some really accurate passes still, uh, and can throw the football field, football downfield. So I think if the if the if the if the wide receiver unit kind of comes along a little bit further, uh, I think the Bears are you know very much I would say uh, a legitimate contender in the NFC uh, in years to come. Obviously, they probably started off too far behind the eight ball this year, but uh, I think the future is you know, very much bright for, for Justin Fields and, and the Chicago Bears. And I think that they kind of structured this season uh, to the point where they can answer that question with Justin Fields and then be very successful here in 2023. So I'm a believer, uh, kind of always was, but very much a big big believer now uh, after this recent stretch of games. If I make you bet on who finishes with more wins this year, who would you pick, the Bears or the Packers? I'm going with the – I would take the Bears, I think, for sure. I, I – I, uh, it's it's bold, I know, but I mean, I've been ready to kind of bury the Packers. I know they got a little bit of a uh, you know a dead cat bounce or whatever last week, but I still think you know, given where uh, both teams are heading, I think we're going to see some uh, you know Jordan Love here towards the end of the season. So uh, I think that I think the Bears get to you know six seven wins here, and I, and I don't see the Packers uh, doing anything but lay, laying over. I would say for the rest of the season. With these receivers back, can the Chargers beat the Chiefs? I think so, and I think we're, we are definitely kind of seeing, um, you know, the line movement go in that direction, mainly because of the, you know, the wide receiver injury situation finally breaking correctly for uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, and, and in a lot of ways, it's like not breaking correctly for Kansas City. So they're very much going to have, you know, Kadarius Tony and and Marcus Valdez Scantling kind of be the focal point of that offense, uh, and I think you know that 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 is a little bit. Uh, you know, of a scary endeavor, even for Patch Mahomes. So I think, you know, the Chargers are going to jump out to an early lead. Uh, I think that, you know, we're going to see maybe them up by a touchdown, if not more. And then I think, you know, the the, the, the exciting part is going to be can Patch Mahomes, you know, bring this team back with a depleted wide receiver unit. And uh, I think that's still the question that needs to be answered. But uh, I very much think the Chargers are kind of live dogs here. Uh, in a little bit of a bounce back spot for them, especially offensively. I'm curious, what are your long term thoughts about Russell Wilson? Like, are the are the Broncos just doomed for another couple of years because of his contract, and he's just not going to be any good? Or do, do you believe there's a a way he bounces back at some point and is actually a you know top whatever ten quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I think you know. I mean, defensively, the Broncos are still really sound, really young. So they have kind of the pieces in place. If 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 Russell Wilson can kind of get back. Uh, you, you know, to early career Russell Wilson, but it's 
it's been really bad, and I and I don't know if he's going to be able to do it with Nathaniel Hackett still kind of in control uh, of not only the offense but the team direction in general. So I think the combination of both of them, uh, I would be pretty pessimistic about them being able to kind of dig themselves out of this hole that they're in right now. Maybe if they make a change at at, at the coaching position and, and there's a way to maybe you know, uh, bring Russell Wilson back. But uh, I think it's a situation that, you know, the, the Broncos kind of went all in on a player. And, uh, you know, it, it very much, I would say, looks like the wrong decision here. And I, and, and I don't really see that changing, uh, you know, too drastically outside of, you know, a, a coaching situation that ends up really benefiting uh, Russell Wilson, which is, you know, clearly not happening, I would say, right now. Yeah, it always seems fun in Denver. Uh, one last before we let you go, Ben Brown. Um, I'm going to go back to the Vikings. How far do you actually think they go in the playoffs? I think they can. I honestly think they can get to the the Super Bowl. Oh, I am, I am setting you. myself up for you are um, you have... setting myself up for pain, right? But <laughs> did not I, take long for you to get back healthy. on board. Yeah. All right. I think if they stay healthy in the secondary, they can do it. He has we'll been Brown from Pro Football Focus. Like three or four weeks ago, you were saying you weren't going to get sucked back into the Vikings again, and here you are, <laughs> Ben Brown. Pro here Football I am. Focus. That's, I'm a sucker. So. You are. Uh, as always, Ben, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. All right. Coming up next, Megan Bozak joins the show. Passes right for Jack Eichel. Jack cycles along. Stevenson sneaks it across. Petrangelo and Stone knocks it in. Out of midair into the back of the goal. If the goal stands, it would be 3-0 Vegas with 14 minutes to go. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Megan Bozak. You saw her last night on AT&T Sportsnet during uh, the pre-post and intermission show for the Golden Knights game. She uh, was an Olympian playing for Team USA. Good morning, Megan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good morning. How are you guys? Good. Good. All right. First question for you. What have you done? Not doesn't even have to be in your athletic career. Is there anything you've done a thousand times in a row without a break? No, in thinking about it, I don't think I'll ever do anything a thousand times in a row without (laughs) taking a break. It is absolutely incredible. I was so excited and honored to be a part of that historic night, just knowing the Kessel family well. And just looking back on Phil's career and thinking that 13 years ago he started this, has gone through cancer, has gone through the birth of his daughter, has gone through two COVID seasons and has still managed to play every single game. So like he said last night at post game, a thousand games is a lot. Um, and he doesn't know how he didn't. I don't think anyone knows how he did it, but um, <laughs> pass off to him. I was amazed. Uh, when you think about it and you put it in perspective, when you're sitting with Darren last night, and Darren said he started this in 2009. <laughs> and like, you just hear that year and you're like 2009. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing given what the sport is and how taxing it can be. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I think it was important to note the date because if you just look at a thousand games, you would think it's a thousand days, so to speak, but that's 13 years of during the season, off season, everything in between. Um, It's just crazy. I, I can't even wrap my head around it and thinking of other sports that may try to attempt that there's no way. All right. So, you know, uh, Phil's sister, Amanda Kessel, and I'm curious does she treat this type of accomplishment from her brother as like, wow, good job? Or is it more like a typical sibling relationship where she tries to belittle Phil and everything he's done? (laughs) 
Uh, they definitely have a competitive relationship, <laughs> but everything was about Phil yesterday. So I know Amanda was uh, bummed not to not to be there at the game last night. The rest of the Kessel family was in attendance, but she also was playing against. I was going to say she Canada beat Canada last night. Last night, yeah. so uh, I think the Kessel family actually had a great night last night. <laughs> How do their games uh, alike and not alike? They're both smooth passers with a threat to shoot at any point. I think uh, one of Phil's biggest strengths is that he sees the ice so well. He's been in the game for so long that the vision is there. And I think Amanda's really picked up on that as well, where they can make those passes, whether it's an easy pass, whether it's trying to get through a crowded team. But if they shoot, the puck will more than likely go in or create a rebound for someone else to put it in. So uh, their speed also through the neutral zone when when they get going and when Amanda gets going, uh, there's no stopping her. Megan Bozak with us. So I'm I'm curious about you. Um, may I don't I don't know this about your career. Have you done uh, any play by play or color analyst or the halftime show or halftime the intermission show of games? Like how did we get to where you are now? You know, doing some uh, analysis for the Golden Knights and potentially more in the future. Yeah, I actually have never done it. Um, so it's thrown into the fire last night, but I couldn't be more thankful for both Darren's last night welcoming me. Um, it's hard to, hard to mess up with having them on the, having them on the desk with you. So it was a really easy transition into that. And I absolutely loved it. So I've always thought about doing it. Um, have never had the opportunity to, to really do that. So I'm really looking forward to tomorrow as well. We have a very important request from you with Darren Millard. Um, can you please call him Milzy? At least once. Milzy? Yes, yes at he, least once. He, I, we don't know if he gave himself this nickname, but he apparently oh. likes to be called Mallard, and we refuse to call him Mallard. We only call him Milzy. So if you could call him Milzy for us at least once, we would appreciate that. All right, perfect. As long as it's uh, acceptable and he'll, he'll maybe laugh, and then hopefully. hopefully he'll know where it's coming from. He will. He, he will definitely know. <laughs> yes, he'll know exactly from. where it's coming from. Yes. You say it's from the two maroons. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you call us maroons, <laughs> he'll know. He'll know exactly what's going on there. Um, all right. Yeah. T- typically in hockey, you get you get a nickname quite oh, fast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Either first name, last name. So I'm anxious to see where okay. he gave himself that one. I'm gonna guess Bozy. You know what? Just Boz. Oh, just both. There's usually a, there's yeah. usually an E at the end, like, you know, E-Y or a Y. Yeah, it really actually depends who you ask, but I'd say majority are, are just both. All right. Uh, we, for some reason on this show, have a strange amount of Minnesotans that join us on a regular basis. You played at, uh, played college hockey at Minnesota. So we've done way too much talk about the Vikings. Are you a Minnesota Vikings fan? I mean, it's good that you have a lot of Minnesota people on the show. Um, they know a lot about their sports. They know a lot about their hockey. It's not a bad thing. The first uh, first person in T-Mobile Arena last night actually was wearing a Minnesota Golden Gopher jersey. So I knew it was going to be a good night. That's probably on our um, show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Football-wise, I can't say I watch NFL football. I watch more college football. Okay. Okay. Right. okay. So... so I don't know if that's a fair, yeah. fair say, but I, uh, yeah, one of my brothers went to University of Alabama, so oh. they um, yeah. live, uh. sleep, breathe, roll tide, 
and our whole family just adopted adopted that motto. So we are big Alabama fans. Yeah, I, I went to Ole Miss, so I'm not uh, too thrilled about the Alabama part oh, of this, especially this geez. week right now. Not not the funnest. Um, something <laughs> yeah, else yeah. I, I was curious about you played in China. Uh, what was the biggest culture shock for you going from playing in the U.S. and Canada to playing hockey in China? I think that's just the development of the game. I loved my time there. Being able to say I played hockey in China is something that I will be very proud of. But the development, you would think that if girls have been playing for a while, um, the advancement of the game would be there. But once realizing that we are role models, we are advocates to try to grow their game, to try to put their best foot forward, putting an Olympic team in place for 2022. Um, I, I would say that was the biggest thing for me hockey-wise, but outside of the rink, there are so many people. Um, I don't live in a city, so that was a bit overwhelming for me at times, but also having girls that are from the area, they were able to take us to spots that I guess normal tourists wouldn't go to, so um, good restaurants, good parks, and, and all of that, but then it was a little bit tough when COVID started and I was in China. So that, uh, that my, my career in China ended pretty abruptly. Uh, strangest thing you ate while you were there? Oh, um, I can't say I ventured out too much because a little market right by our apartment buildings was selling like snake and eel oh. and other items. And they were still alive. Oh, and you could just see them in the bucket that didn't look, um, it could have been sanitized, but it didn't look very sanitary, the bucket it was sitting in. And then to have it on my plate five minutes later, um, I chose not to go down that route. But also in the market, you had a turtle that just oh, cruised. Yeah. It was someone's turtle that just walked to the corner store and back. It took them, I think, eight hours a day. But, yep, we'd get some get some lettuce from, from the locals and turn and go back. So it was a... A little town turtle, which was fun. Wait, did the turtle have like a a, a bucket on its shell? Like what? <laughs> hey, no, he he would just walk to the the corner and and walk back home. And apparently, it, it was someone's turtle, but it was just known as a town turtle, and it was usually followed by a dog. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stray dogs there. Yes. So we um, we did bring a lot of food to the dogs every single day. We made it a point either before or after practice to, to do that. But then we discovered a turtle and it was kind of fun. It was a little loop in, in our plans, but he was getting fed. So he was okay. I was at the Beijing Olympics and I had scorpion. Oh yeah. I'm uh, I don't think I'm that adventurous, but hey, it was, whatever, it, whatever you want to try, I think like, what were your ratings on it? it well, like everything, it tasted like chicken. I think yeah. when you don't know what anything tastes like and it's something that you should, probably shouldn't be eating, you'd say, well, it just tastes like chicken. How, how was the scorpion cooked? What did you expect it to taste like? It was cooked. It was on a, it was on a skewer. Ah, okay. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. All right. Uh, Megan, before, before we let you go, I have a question. So uh, Mark Stone bats the puck out of the air last night uh, to score a goal. How often is that practiced? And when do we get like a pitching machine out there to toss little pucks up for people to just bat out of the air so they actually get to practice this skill? I think to the viewers last night, um, you watch that and it's just kind of expected, but that is such a hard skill to 
to learn to teach to really keep in your game. So watching Stone, he's in the right position in front of the net. He has two defenders right behind him. He somehow manages to still get that puck, but he definitely practices that either before practice, after practice, just simple throws. The puck, how often do you see perfect passes, perfect plays, or or any of that without uh, deflections, redirections? So um, having that skill with that hand-eye coordination, I think, like you said, it will get a bit more creative with training and practicing that, maybe a little pitching machine. That could be a good investment for you if you want to start one with, with hockey pucks. Yeah. Um, but it's not an easy skill. It's not an easy ask for a forward in front that has pressure behind. So um, just really bearing down, lifting that stick, and trying to track that puck with where it's coming from. Um, he was in the right place at the right time. All right, Megan, before we let you go, well, what is your schedule here? You're doing another Golden Knights game and then a Silver Knights game? I am. I'm on color tomorrow for the Silver Knights and then another game with, with the Barons. <laughs> Um, with Millsy, with Millsy, with Millsy, with Millsy and Ve. Oh, I want you to call him Millsy so bad. It'll be fun. Uh, All right, I will. I will. She is Megan Bozak again, catcher, uh, calling the Silver Knights game and then another Gold Knights game on AT and T Sportsnet. Megan, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Of course, thank you guys. Uh, So there is Megan Bozak. All right, we have tickets to give away to go see John Fogarty. He is at Encore Theater at the Win. These tickets are for tomorrow night. He'll be playing some of his solo hits, some of his hits from CCR. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see John Fogarty tomorrow night, be caller number 8 right now at 702-364-1100 to win tickets to go see John Fogarty. You got a transcendent franchise player like Aaron Rodgers, quarterback. Obviously, we know the quarterback position in the NFL, you know, besides if you had like a, a monster defensive end, you know what I'm saying, or a D tackle like obviously Aaron Donald. That's the, one, that's the most important position in the NFL. So why wouldn't you surround that when you got the picks to maximize what he can do? Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. And I got a tweet for you from John Morosi. I'm told the Dodgers have not made a final decision on Cody Bellinger, but the chances are better than 50-50. He will be removed from the roster today via trade or non-tender. So players that are arbitration eligible right. today, they have to be offered a contract. If they're not, they become free agents. So is Cody Bellinger done as a Dodger? I believe he'll become a free agent. Wow. He sounds like a cub already. <laughs> <laughs> He's been bad what are you for, trade for, him? for two seasons now. Yes. Um, but is he really not worth, like, he's not a Six, free agent. No, the number's 16 million. Oh, is it I really think. that high for I him? Think it's, I think it's that high. So he's, like, in his last year of arbitration. Yes. He's been through it a few times. Yeah. Okay, 16 is pretty high. I was thinking it was going to be, like, 7 or $8 million. And I was like, yeah, Cody Bellinger's probably worth that. $16 million. So you don't think Cody Bellinger's coming back? As an LA Dodger, now he made uh, he made seventeen million this past season, so maybe it's more than seventeen. Oh wow! Okay, probably shouldn't have brought him back last year either. <laughs> then uh, that is pretty high for somebody who has not been able to hit for multiple seasons now. So he was what rookie of the year in seventeen, MVP yes. in nineteen, yep. and then has it just really fallen you know, off since just then. Just being here, what are we know, doing, for, Jerry? For nine years and. Everything that we- Trying to set up the hotkeys for the remix. Good job there. Yeah. Tune in in six minutes. You will hear that again, apparently. No, I was trying to delete it, so I wouldn't <laughs> you play won't it. hear that again. 
in six minutes. All right. Um, I'm also going to take like two minutes here, Ed, to yell about the Astros. Is that okay? It's fine. Is that fine? All right. The Astros owner, Jim Crane, is about to ruin uh, a machine. The Astros were like so close to being perfect. They tanked. They went all in on analytics. They nailed it. And they have been phenomenal at player development in that time. Like they've been churning out all-star level players without high picks for five years now. And they had two general managers who were deep into analytics, helping to drive their decision-making. They lost Jeff Luno. He got fired after the sign ceiling scandal. And then their owner, Jim Crane decided not to bring back James click. I know he offered him a one-year deal, but the owner decided not to bring back James click. When you offer a one-year deal to the world series winning GM. Now, The owner of the Astros told MLB.com earlier this week that he doesn't plan on hiring a new general manager until the start of next year. They've got some guys they promoted. January is the earliest they'll have a new general manager. So they've got some guys that got sort of interim promotion type things that are sort of making these decisions. But like, for example, today, the Astros have like, eight or nine guys like Cody Bellinger that are in arbitration or not. You have to offer a contract and who's making that decision. They just elevated guys from within. They've got like three of them. I don't know who's making that decision for all. I know Jim Crane, the owner's making that decision because he's the one, the Astros have signed two free agents, one to a minor league contract. And then they brought back Rafael Montero, one of their relievers, Jim Crane reportedly negotiated the Rafael Montero contract. The owner of the team negotiated the contract of their number one free agent signing so far this offseason. I don't like any part of that. That sounds terrible. Now, ESPN had a story about the Astros and like trying to figure out what the hell's going on there. ESPN reported that Jim Crane is relying on Jeff Bagwell and Reggie Jackson because he wanted more, quote, baseball guys oh, no. to help make decisions. Oh, no. And in that story... Uh, Reggie Jackson reportedly yelled at the front office last year. He did later apologize. We don't know why he was yelling, but he apparently yelled and screamed at them about something and then came back and apologized. And that Jeff Bagwell criticized the front office for the player development not being good enough. (laughs) The Astros have had a rookie in the top five or rookie of the year voting five straight seasons. Five straight years. They've had one of the best rookies in the American League. Their rookie, the Astros let the best shortstop in franchise history walk, replaced him with a rookie, and that guy won World Series MVP, MVP this year. The only thing they've been good at is player development. Not the only thing, but the thing they've been best at is player development. So I don't know what the hell Jeff Bagwell's talking about. The Astros are going to be good this year. They're probably going to be good for another two to three years because they've got a really good roster and they've got a lot of young and they've guys. they've got a lot of young pitching. On the roster. But, God, they are going to fall off a cliff so hard because their owner, for whatever reason, decided all of these analytics that won us World Series, I don't need those anymore. I need Jeff Bagwell telling me how to negotiate my contracts. God, they were so... I loved everything about the tanking, all in on analytics, everything about it. It was like, that's how I would run a franchise. And now the owner's like, I got this, boys. Me and Jeff Bagwell. (laughs) We're going to run this team. We're going to do it so great. They're going to be terrible again in five years.